0: You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to NeuroFrontiers, produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. Your host is Dr. Anthony Alessi, Chief of Neurology at William W. Backus Hospital.
1: What is a pediatric migraine headache, and how does it differ from adult migraines? Joining us to discuss the latest research in the treatment of pediatric migraine is Dr. Don Lewis. He's Professor of Pediatrics and Neurology at Eastern Virginia Medical School, and pediatric neurologist at Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters. Dr. Lewis, welcome to Reach MD. Well,
0: I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Dr. Lewis, do children get migraine headaches? Absolutely. I think there's a great myth that migraines are an affliction of adult women, but they have their origins in childhood.
1: Well, what are some of the precursors or things we look for as causing pediatric migraine headaches?
0: Well, the causes of pediatric migraine as well as adult migraine go back to genetics. We understand nowadays that migraines are caused by a a gene abnormality that you inherit, and we can very often see migraines in families. Quite often when a child comes in to see me with headache, we ask the mom whether anybody else in the family has migraines, and then mom says no. But sure enough, when you start exploring her headaches, she does in fact have migraine.
1: How young should you be on the lookout for pediatric migraine?
0: The youngest we see migraine is in kids who are probably two or three when they have the language abilities to describe, because a migraine is really a type of headache that is characterized by its symptoms. A two or three-year-old usually has the language abilities. The epidemiology or the frequency information shows us that about 5% of elementary school age kids have migraines, and that rises to about 8 to 10% by the time the kids get in, in middle school, but by high school, as many as 15 to 18% of kids have migraines. And it's a really interesting gender shift. In the little kids, the elementary school, boys outnumber girls 2 to 1. When they're in middle school, boys and girls are pretty even. By the time they get into high school, it's usually girls 3 or 4 to 1 compared to boys. Any
1: particular reason for
0: that? We don't really understand that. I mean, I think we point our fingers at hormones, and that's probably a significant influence. But as we all know, some genes affect us different ways. But probably the the leading explanation today has to do with hormonal influences.
1: What are migraine headaches like in children? Uh, How would we compare pediatric migraine to the typical adult migraine headache?
0: That's a great question and a lot of research has gone into that. There's an organization called the International Headache Society which defines the criteria for diagnosis of migraine. And in kids, the diagnosis implies that you have recurrent episodes and one of the cardinal features of migraine is it's an attack of headache that lasts a a period of time and in kids it's usually between 2 and 48 hours the headaches in kids are usually in the front of the head and the forehead area as the location of the pain, whereas in adults it'll usually be one side in the temple. Both adults and kids will describe a pounding or a throbbing quality to the pain. In adults, they require that the patients report the presence of uh, light hurting their eyes and sound hurting their ears, but kids will never tell you that. In kids, what they'll do is to go to a, a dark, quiet room and pull a pillow over their head and leave me alone and be quiet. Those behaviors infer the presence of the photophobia and phonophobia, and then the other key feature in kids would be nausea and vomiting.
1: Well, in terms of treating migraine, before we get into the pharmacologic treatment, some of the things we all see as practicing physicians and gets a lot of publicity is dietary changes. We see people come in with exhaustive lists and calendars and things like that. How much do you emphasize diet in migraines in children?
0: I have changed over the years and I am emphasizing it less and less and less. Now I would, will say that one caveat here is that a good healthy round diet is important and the teenagers who skip breakfast routinely and have headaches we make sure they get three square meals a day. We also include regular exercise and regular sleep and so forth but as far as specific components of the diet gone are the days when we put these kids on uh, void cheeses and processed meats and chocolates and nuts and MSG. Usually we just say, here are some foods that have been associated and about somewhere between a third and a half of patients of children with migraines are able to identify a food trigger. And if they can identify a trigger with a little bit of a detective work, we say, stay away from that food. I mean, common sense says if you eat chocolate and get a rip-roar and nauseating headache an hour later don't do that anymore and kids aren't stupid they understand that so we don't give them a laundry list of foods and say stay off these foods anymore in fact that even sometimes makes it worse because a well-meaning mom or dad will try and enforce a restrictive diet at home and the kids going to go out and you know he knows he or she knows it's not going to cause a problem so they'll nibble a piece of cheese and the parents freak out and get all mad and Then you get this battle at home, which makes more stress and more headaches. So the more logical course of action nowadays is to say, okay, some patients with migraines have food triggers. Here's the list of common, provocative foods. Pay attention to this over the next weeks or months. And if you eat these foods and get a headache in close proximity to these foods, don't do that anymore. And we really have a problem nowadays. We've had a great evolution thinking about that. Now, one of the comments I'd make is about caffeine. We do try and encourage kids to limit and moderate their caffeine intake. Some of these kids are drinking three lattes and, you know, four Mountain Dews and two jolts a day, and, you know, those kids come in with very frequent headaches. So we really try and say, you know, cut down on the caffeine intake.
1: How about in children or actually more in adolescents who do not take caffeine in, would you recommend a moderate or a mild amount of caffeine as a preventive?
0: Not typically. Caffeine affects all of us a little differently. Some kids it makes the headaches worse, some has no effect, and some kids it makes them better. We generally don't use a regimen of caffeine to prevent headaches. Caffeines often interfere with sleep. Sleep is actually usually very good for patients with migraines. Sometimes caffeine itself triggers off migraine. So I think what I typically will preach to the parents and the family is, is to try and limit or moderate caffeine intake. And for the kids with very, very frequent headaches, those are the ones who are often overdosing themselves on caffeine.
1: Is sleep better in children than in adults? Uh, we always see the situation where a young child will just go to sleep and wake up ready to go out and play after having a headache episode.
0: Sleep is the best thing in the world for migraineurs, and I I hear this time and time in the offices. Very often they'll have failed several medications, and the best thing for them is a good night's sleep or a good two-hour power nap. So sleep has some incredible effects on remedying headaches.
1: We talked a little bit about some of the lifestyle changes that you might have to make in a child or an adolescent. How about some of the complementary or alternative treatments for migraine headache?
0: A lot of the families have tried these things, and as a good evidence-based physician, we try and give good advice. The Evidence out there shows that there may be a value in a couple of things. Riboflavin has been shown in some studies to have a beneficial effect. So we'll recommend somewhere between around 400, 500 milligrams of riboflavin. Magnesium likewise has effects and helps some patients and some research has shown beneficial effects there. Sometimes coenzyme Q10 has a value. There's some interesting data from Cincinnati that shows that many of the patients with frequent headaches are deplete in coenzyme Q10. I really try and shy away from some of the other combination agents with lots of other herbal remedies in them. I think that that my responsibility is to share with the patients what science we do have in these areas. But if a family comes in and says, gosh, my headache got better when I was taking vitamin XYZ, I'm certainly not going to stop the vitamins, but I don't really push in my office the ones that don't have at least some science behind them.
1: Dr. Lewis, how about exercise? Do you find that that's helpful uh, in young people, especially when they've developed a more sedentary lifestyle? Does it help their migraine headaches?
0: Absolutely. I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, it's all part of this so-called biobehavioral strategy, and when a patient comes in to see me, particularly those who are suffering from frequent or even daily headaches, is in addition to making sure you eat three square meals and get a good night's sleep, I always encourage them to get at least 30 minutes of exercise a day. I tell them to put down their controller or their video game, go out and get some exercise. And there is some actually interesting research data to show that when you exercise regularly, you get a, an appreciable elevation of your endorphin levels, and that in turn has been linked in a one-to-one fashion with decreasing headaches. So exercise is very important. And again, when patients come in to see me with with frequent headaches, I don't even talk about medications until we go through in detail the lifestyle changes that we talked about as sleep, regular sleep, regular meals, regular exercise, even stress moderation is important. It's it's important to kind of look for the various triggers.
1: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and joining us to discuss the latest research in the treatment of pediatric migraine is Dr. Don Lewis. Dr. Lewis is professor of pediatrics and neurology at Eastern Virginia Medical School and pediatric neurologist at Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters. Let's talk a little bit, Dr. Lewis, about some of the pharmacologic treatment for migraine headaches. What type of acute medications do you like to use?
0: Well, I typically will start with a straightforward, over-the-counter agents. Ibuprofen is the best studied. There has been at least three studies done across the country and, and the world showing a value and an efficacy and a safety and reliability for ibuprofen. We usually use a little bit higher dose than the, the bottle says. We usually use about 10 milligrams per kilogram. Now, very often a family will look at me and say, oh, we tried that. It didn't work. But they often haven't tried it the way you're supposed to. It is key with analgesic to give the medicine as soon as the headache begins. A lot of families will kind of hear their child complaining of headaches and they'll kind of wait a while to see whether or not it really is a bad headache. With migraine, as I'm sure your listeners have heard before, you got to hit it hard and you got to hit it early. So when a family says, oh, we tried that, I say, have you really tried it the way you're supposed to? Have you used the appropriate dose of 10 milligrams per kilogram given within 20 to 30 minutes of the onset of the headache? That's my first-line agent. What do you
1: like to use in terms of preventive treatments for migraine headaches?
0: Well, preventive treatment, again, is going to be the biobehavioral strategies. And then there's a series of choices. For the younger children, particularly the thin young children, cyproheptadine or periactin, very often in a very low dose, to start with about 2 to 4 milligrams at bedtime. Sometimes you can ratchet that up to about 2 to 4 milligrams two or three times a day. But the rate-limiting step for cyproheptadine is sedation and weight gain. For the older children, and I say probably over 8 to 10 range, uh, typically will either use amitriptyline starting at a dose of 5 to 10 milligrams at bedtime, perhaps gradually working that up towards 25 milligrams at, at bedtime, very slowly over time, or alternatively tapiramate, and some of the most recent best research in double-blind placebo-controlled trials has been with tapiramate, with the dose starting at about 25 milligrams at bedtime, and then again, gradually ratcheting up to about 50 milligrams twice a day. There's not been much data to show doses higher than that are necessary, so on a weekly or every other week basis, build up from 25 milligrams at night to 50 milligrams twice a day.
1: Let me ask you the question. I guess it's on everybody's mind: is the use of triptans in the pediatric population? Uh, what is your feeling about that? Do you use them?
0: Absolutely. Well, first I have to give the disclaimer that these are drugs not approved in kids under 18, and I'm sure all the listeners are aware of that. However, there is huge body of data showing safety in kids from 12 and older. Now, we will use triptans in our office if the children have failed other agents and they, they can have convinced us they fail other agents, then we'll, as young as uh, even six or eight, we will go into the triptan agents. The triptans typically will use either the nasal spray forms of sumatriptan or zolmatriptan. In the younger kids who have trouble swallowing pills, sometimes we'll use the oral disintegrating versions of zolmatriptan or rhizotriptan. And then in the older kids who don't mind swallowing pills, we'll just use the pill forms of various agents. We have not had any significant issues as far as toxicity with those drugs. They're very safe. The problem has been that the studies have not consistently demonstrated efficacy. Only a couple of the drugs in bigger studies in children have clearly demonstrated efficacy, and the FDA has not been satisfied that the efficacy determination has been proven with any of the tryptans in kids.
1: Dr. Lewis, there are always problems and obstacles when you're doing research in children and adolescents, yet it becomes really crucial in this area. What does the research start to show us now in uh, treating migraine in children and adolescents?
0: There kind of two answers to that. One is first go back to the acute treatments. The impediments we've had to showing success for agents like the triptans in kids has been the placebo response rate. When we do acute treatment trials in children and adolescents, very often the placebo response rate is 50 to even 65%. And it's virtually impossible to demonstrate efficacy for an active drug when compared to a placebo response rate of 50 to 65%. You can just imagine the statistical nightmare that would be. So there's ongoing research to figure out ways to minimize the placebo response rate the design trials, either enrichment trials or other techniques, comparative trials, to reduce the placebo response and give us a more pure look at the response to the drug. The second part of the answer is looking at preventative treatments how do you design a trial to clearly show improvement off a daily medicine and who do you enroll? Certainly you wouldn't want to enroll a patient who has one headache a month at a preventative trial. You would really want to bring patients who have enough headaches to justify institution of a daily medicine. And then how do you measure response? Is it purely a function of the number of headaches they have a month? But it really probably should be more on How is their disability improved? A patient who is having three to four severe migraines a month that last two days and they're missing a week of school every month, they may only have four headaches, but how has the daily medicine improved their lifestyle, has lowered the disability? So I think the the focus for the future for preventative agents is going to be looking more at disability than just the raw number of headaches per month.
1: I would like to thank my guest, Dr. Don Lewis, Professor of Pediatrics and Neurology at Eastern Virginia Medical School and Pediatric Neurologist at Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters. Dr. Lewis, thank you for being our guest today on NeuroFrontiers.
0: Thank you for inviting me. You've been listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. NeuroFrontiers is produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. For more information about this or any other show, please visit
1: ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.